The song thrush is an attractive singing bird that is found in Asia, Europe, and Asia. And these birds are known for their beautiful singing, including featuring a wide range of notes. They're also named after their sweet song. Song thrushes usually sing from the top branches of trees in pairs. They also repeat some of their phrases three or four times while singing. Now these are, are small birds. They have a length between 8 and 9 inches and weigh up to 110 grams. Usually you find them in woodlands, suburb gardens, and parks. And they even travel long distances between seasons. In fact, in England, you will hear a song thrush singing in early November. But really they say their singing starts in January at the beginning of the new year. In fact, the poet Robert Browning even wrote about the song thrush. Here is a little bit of a poem. That's the wise thrush. He sings each song twice over, lest you should think he could never recapture the first fine careless rapture. Though song thrushes can be heard singing at the time of the day, they aren't early risers. Generally, they don't join the dawn chorus until the blackbirds and robins have already started. Now, a verb. Parts of speech. A verb is a word used to describe an action or a state or occurrence in forming the main part of the predicate of a sentence, such as here, become, and happen. Happen. It's a dictionary definition of the word verb. And the word worry. Well, to define worry from the dictionary, worry means to give way to anxiety or unease, allowing one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. That is a verb of worry. Now, what is the relationship between worry and birds? Well, welcome to the Stephen Thompson Experience, a show about the past, present, and the future, personal development and leadership featuring music I like and people you should know from the past to help guide you and all of us into contributions we wish to make in this world using our gifts, talents, and abilities in order to serve others. Now, for the next few episodes, I'm going to be featuring the music of Bob Marley. Three Little Birds. Three Little Birds is a song by Bob Marley and the Wailers. In fact, it was the fourth track on side two of his 1977 album Exodus. And Three Little Birds was released as a single in 1980. In fact, it reached the top 20 in the UK and England, peaking at number 18. In fact, it is one of Marley's most popular songs. It's been recorded by many artists. If you look at the Three Little Birds wiki page, you would see at least 20 different cover versions by different musicians who, over the years, have remade Three Little Birds. In fact, sometimes people don't even know that the song is called Three Little Birds. They think the title is Don't Worry About a Thing, or they think the title is Every Little Thing is Going to Be Alright, because those words are used throughout the song, in the chorus. But actually the song is called Three Little Birds. Here's some of the really, really good lyrics and parts of the song I enjoy. Don't worry about a thing, because every little thing's going to be all right. Singing don't worry about a thing, because every little thing is going to be all right. Rise up this morning, smile with the rising sun. Three little birds pitched by my doorstep, singing sweet songs of melodies pure and true. Singing, this is my message to you. You see... 
when we approach a problem. We can simply have the problem work us or we can work the problem. And that means you don't have to dwell on the problem or worry about the problem, but you can work the problem. And when people work problems, things will work out in their favor. William Jackson was a free man in the Union States. And what he was famous for was being a Union spy for many years. And he got into places of the South where he could deliver vital intelligence to Union generals. Now, what sets William Jackson apart? Well, he put himself in a very difficult situation, a situation that could have cost him his life. Now, when the Civil War was started, everybody was looking for spies for the Union in the South. Now, the South, the Confederates, were only looking for Caucasian men or even women to spy for the Union because the South believed in slavery. They didn't believe that African intelligence existed, that African Americans were intelligent, and they were enslaved. So they never thought for a minute that an African-American man, a slave, would be doing spy work for the unions. But William Jackson was this man. William Jackson got into the household of Jefferson Davis. And Jefferson Davis was the president of the Confederate States of America. They never suspected that a slave would be spying on them. It was said that Jefferson Davis would just continue to talk out loud around his slave. And William Jackson was working in Davis's household. He was doing jobs around the house, and he acted as a coachman. That's the person who drove the carriage. Now, for months, Jackson listened to Davis talk about the Confederate Army. And he gathered up information, and then he was going to give this information to the Union generals. And the whole time, Davis was talking and revealing secrets around the home. So what happened? 1861, we have Jackson. He saw a chance, and he took off, and he left. He left Jefferson Davis's household, and he made a long journey to the Union side. And when he got there, he was able to give the Union generals information on the number of Confederate troops, where they were going, their plans, their supplies, and even the problems that the, Union, the Confederates were having with the logistics of the war, the war. Now, people have said that Jackson was free, but he put himself into slavery as a choice in order to protect the country. And he didn't just put himself into any type of slavery. He was a slave to the president of the Confederate Army. And it was probably a good situation that he never would have been found out, but he was a position that he was in a position that may have been hard to get himself out of there. And he gave up his freedom and he put himself in a situation where he could have been a lifetime slave to the wrong president of the United States. But when you look at what Jackson did, 
he was able to make a conscious choice to sacrifice for the betterment of people who didn't care about him. For a country that saw him as a second-class citizen, he believed in what the United States of America claimed to be in its written constitution and its declaration of independence. And Jackson lived his life that way, looking to make a contribution to make his country a better place. And I'm sure maybe worry played a part in his choices, but Jackson continued to move forward. What is worry? What is worry in our daily life? Well, psychology today says worry can take form in our subconscious, thinking over and over and over again about a potential threat to us, to our well-being. Albert Ellis, a cognitive psychologist of emotion, said that there is an ABC model. And Ellis says this ABC model lays out what happens to us when we worry. So A, he calls an activating event. And B, he calls a belief. And C is a emotion. So when we worry about something, we believe that something bad is going to happen to us. And we are triggered into thinking of that by events that have occurred in our life. So an example, you may think that you may make a terrible error the next time you meet a new friend. And this worry, Ellis says, comes from a belief that we're not really likable or everybody must like us. He says that this event can be activated by email exchanges, a good night kiss, but it's a belief that you will have something bad happen to you. And then it generates your worry and it generates your anxiety. And it exists in your mind. Now, there are things in our life that could hurt us, could harm us, could jeopardize us. But we walk through those and we act. And we act hoping that our actions will benefit others. Now, what about that worry that goes on in our heads each and every day? Well, one thing we can do is, is practice mindfulness. There's a good technique from the power of perspective from Lifehack Magazine, Lifehack Email Magazine. I get a newsletter from Lifehack, and they give these easy techniques to help you overcome worry. And here's one of them, and this is really easy. It's an acronym that they gave, and it's called SNACK, S-N-A-C-K. And this is what Lifehack says to do. So here comes negative thought. Just stop. Stop whatever you're doing. And then in, notice, pay attention to what's happening inside of you and around you. A, accept. So you acknowledge without judging the things you are struggling with. So let's say you are feeling sad. Well, you acknowledge it without judgment, meaning that you don't say, I'm sad and you're a bad person or you should be grateful. Just say, hey, look, I'm sad right now. Curious. Well, what am I feeling and what do I need right now? So when you get curious, why am I sad? What do I need right now? And then the last one is K, kindness. 
responding to yourself and others with kindness and understanding. That simply means if you're feeling sad, or if you're feeling upset, or if you're feeling angry and you ask yourself, why am I angry? Why am I sad? Why am I upset? Don't beat yourself up over it. Don't say, well, you know what? You're sad. You should be happy because you have a lot of money. Or you shouldn't be angry because anger is bad. Don't beat yourself up. There might be a reason why you're sad. Well, today is the anniversary of a loss that I had. I'm sad because of that. I'm angry because somebody treated me poorly. Respond to yourself with kindness and understanding. So kindness and understanding means this. Actually, I'm sorry that that happened to you today. I'm sorry that you feel sad. Yes, we have experienced a loss, and that loss hurts tremendously. Then you respond to yourself with kindness, and you move forward. Think about this. Anxiety, unease, allowing oneself's mind to dwell on difficulties or troubles. So when you're dwelling on difficulties, when you're dwelling on troubles, when you're judging yourself, when you're condemning yourself, you're not helping the situation. It's not a responsible thing to do to dwell on your misfortunes than to beat yourself up for dwelling on your misfortunes. This is something that I do myself, so I'm speaking from experience instead. Move your thoughts in the direction of what will work out and what you can do. It's not easy. I mean, my default in life is that life is hard, life is tragic, and I have evidence to support that based upon losses that I've had, based upon trials that I've went through. But I can introduce a counter-argument. A counter-argument can take place like this. Let's accept the status quo. And what is something new that I can create? A counter-argument. What is something new that I can create after I accept the status quo? Because you see, your pain, your hurt, that exists. And we, we can't diminish it. We can't make it go away. We can't undo the past. But we can put it over here and accept it. And then... We can move forward and decide, I'm going to accept it. It happened. It's true. But now, with the time I have, with the strength I have, with the ability that I have, what is something new that I want to create, that I want to put into the world? Ask yourself that question, then move forward from that space. What is it that I want to create? What is it that I want to do in the service of others with my strengths, my talents, and my abilities? Move forward from this space. Thank you. This is Stephen Thompson, and this has been my experience. And thank you for listening today. What I want you to do is to connect with your talents, your abilities, and the contribution that you want to make. Map it out. Write it out. Look at it. Experience the pain that you may have felt. Face the challenges and the trials that you have. But then, introduce the counter-argument. The counter-argument that has you moving forward. The counter-argument that has you creating something new. And thank you. Have a great day. Bye-bye.